check, check. One, two, three, four. Are we on? One, two, three, into the four. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre are at the door. Welcome to the Sneaky Emu. How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Mom, thanks for being here. I assume that you are my biggest fan. Uh, It is episode number nine of the Sneaky Emu, and by now, I'm assuming we have at least fives of listeners, fives of listeners. So thank you to the five of you. We greatly appreciate your support, your love, and all of your encouragement. (laughs) There you have it. Uh, The Sneaky Emu, this is a place where we want to discover the divine that is ever present, ever in front of us. We want to discover the beauty of life that is always before us, whether we see it or not. And therein lies the joy of what we're trying to do, is trying to wake up to the things that are in front of us, whether we realize it or not. We are surrounded by beauty and goodness in this world, even though it might not seem like it, or or even though we're not able to see it sometimes, uh, and we just kind of thought, I just kind of thought, you know, we get enough of the bad stuff, like, let's have a place where we can talk about some of the good stuff, you know? I mean, why not? Like, let's do something positive. Let's do, let's bring something good into the world. Do you feel me? Can you relate? Are you ready for a party? If the answer is yes, then you, my friends, have come to the right place. All right. I've been clicking around my computer. Hopefully you can't hear too much of that. Um, so episode nine, I want to start, <laughs> eventually we're going to get to like the bigger thing that I think we've missed. Okay. And I think the bigger thing that I think we often miss, and it took me a while to get here. Uh, maybe you're already here. Maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't take you quite as long as it took me, but I think understanding what we're going to talk about. Uh, will make all the difference in your world and how we understand our world, how we think about it, how we live in it, how we relate to it. Um, so stay with me and and hopefully as we get into this, we'll have a few things uh, that you can take with you, Hope a, a few things that might serve to give you a bit of hope and might help you understand that how you live actually matters and how you live can actually make a difference in the world. Okay, so if that isn't enough of a setup and a teaser and a trailer, I don't know what will be. Get off my back. I'm just kidding. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Mom, you too. All right, so I want to tell you about a time, kind of an embarrassing moment. What one of one of many embarrassing moments. In fact, I've had so many embarrassing moments in my life that I don't think I really get embarrassed that much anymore. Unless, of course, there are a few issues. But anyways, uh, in one of the more embarrassing moments in my prepubescent life, I mean, we're talking, you know, like 30 years ago. Who would have thought I would tell a story from 30 years ago? Time flies when you're getting old. Or like my dad says, that Kermit the Frog says, Time's fun when you're having flies. Yeah, that's an, that's an old preacher joke. You're welcome. You're welcome for that one. That one's free. Uh, so one of the most embarrassing, not most, and a particular, what, an embarrassing moment in my life. It occurred on a soccer field. 
That's right. I grew up playing soccer from the time I was, uh, I don't know, what was it, U6? I started in the U6 and played all the way up through college. I, I even played in college. I don't know if I talked about, did I talk about playing in college before? I don't remember. I played for a very small Bible college, so it's not like a huge accomplishment. We were a part of what was known as the NCCAA, right? <laughs> we weren't a part of the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletic Association. We were a part of the National Christian Collegiate Athletic Association. Yeah, uh, and we weren't even like, we were like a Division three school, so there was no scholarships, there was no... Uh, real sense of prestige. It was basically the tryouts were like this. Hey, do you have both legs? No? Okay. You can be on the team too. <laughs> That's how it was. Okay. It wasn't that bad, but uh, it, it, anyways, so I grew up playing soccer. Uh, for many years, my dad was the coach. And at one point, uh, let's see, our team name for, for several years in like the U10s, U12s, U16s, we were the explosion, which uh, again, because it was like 30 years ago, uh, I, I'm not sure you could use that name anymore because it's, it's a bit uh, on the nose for the world we live in, if you will. So the, <laughs> the explosion. And, and my dad, oh, one of the things my dad did was he – he would get us sponsorships. My dad is great at doing this sort of thing. And we had, this is a side note. This doesn't even tie into the story, but well, maybe it does. He had, um, we had gotten a sponsorship, you know, like the, t- the the group, the companies that sponsor the teams, they get their name on the jersey, whatever. Uh, one of our sponsors was 7-Eleven. And so 7-Eleven agreed to give us these giant, uh, like those giant thermos cups. And so... Because of that sponsorship, we got one free Slurpee a day, which was incredible. If you're 10 years old and you can get one free Slurpee a day, and if you live two blocks from the 7-Eleven, it was a pretty great deal. So that, I mean, like, who wouldn't want to be on that team? (laughs) We lived near the local Kmart. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, The local Kmart, by the way, was the first place I ever stole something. Yeah, here comes the skeletons out of the closet. Um, I, th- I stole like a pack of baseball cards or something, I remember. Uh, and it was so nerve-wracking. I, I think I like I only did it like 15 more times. I'm just kidding. I only did it. I don't think I ever did it again. I just was so nervous and fearful of getting caught. and like the, It was just too much to it. So the local Kmart, my mom went and bought me a pair of white McGregor's. Do you remember McGregor's? Do they even still make McGregor's? I don't know if it, they were exclusive to Kmart or if that was the Kmart brand, but it was a pair of white McGregor turf shoes. And the problem was, was that they were like a half size too big, but for some reason we were like in a hurry or whatever and I needed them and that's all we all they had. I don't know why I ended up with them being a half size too big, but bright white Kmart soccer turf shoes that were too big for my feet, right? This definitely (laughs) failed to meet any sort of like cool factor for myself and for like the dudes I played soccer with. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I went to the first, we went to the first like indoor soccer match, my first indoor soccer match ever to play in. So I'm super excited. You know, I, like I said, grew up playing, love soccer. Uh, and so I remember if, if you've ever played indoor, you know, it looks like a hockey rink. And I think the place that we were playing was like, because I, uh, I live in Florida, we don't have a ton of ice hockey rinks, but I think it was uh, like an old hockey, um, it was an old hockey wall. What is it? It was the rink without the ice. So just like the rounded walls. And if you've ever seen those or played or whatever, you know that when the door to go onto the field there's like a like a foot high step up, you know. So you have to step up into the into the field, and so like the big the big day came, the big moment came. Uh, I I started I think I started on the bench, which may tell you how good I am by starting the bench, uh, or it may tell you you know what my dad thought of my abilities, who was the coach. <laughs> So finally I get the call, right? Like we were going to shift out, switch out, substitute some people. And in, in, in indoor soccer, you just change them out. You don't have to, you know, pause the game or anything. And so I, my dad gives me the nod. I jump up. I'm excited. I'm ready to take the field by storm. You know, it's like, it's like a kid getting ready for Christmas morning. They open the door to the artificial field. And as I like run to jump onto the field with all the uh, gusto that I could muster uh, as I begin in my mind to start my pre-budding, pre, uh, pre-professional soccer career. I jump onto the field and I stub my slightly oversized bright white McGregor's on the wall and I face plant into the turf in the most epic fail the world has ever seen. <laughs> It it was like the ultimate the ultimate face plant right on the turf right in front of everybody, uh, and it was it wasn't just like oh he tripped it was like it was like a wipeout like I bloodied my my nose got bloodied my chin got scraped that was bleeding my elbows got uh, s- uh, scraped my elbows were like bloodied I I bloodied my knee just like an absolute mess just in an instant. And so as quickly as I entered the field face first, uh, I had to be taken out of the game to get, to get bandage up. <laughs> like, welcome to soccer. Uh, needless to say, not one of my finer moments. Like all this buildup, all this hype, uh, and my first step out of the gate was... Uh, a disaster. It, <laughs> it was a disaster. I had to play the rest of the game with bandages. I eventually went back in and uh, <laughs> played play the game. But just I remember what an anticlimactic sort of start. I, I blame my mom and I blame McGregor. Personally, McGregor himself, whoever McGregor is, I blame the giant white shoes from Kmart that were uh, that were too big that would, didn't allow me to uh, <laughs> to to adjust accordingly. So, anyways, it was a bit of a a bit of a rough uh, a rough start for my uh, soccer career that never went anywhere. Maybe that's why. Uh, so, 
here's why that story is important to whatever we're going to talk about is that uh, the first step in things matters. Uh, my first step out of the gate onto the field was a misstep and it caused all kinds of problems for me. When it comes to uh, many people, uh, many believers' understanding of creation, when it comes to many believers' understanding of God's intended reality, I think many people have taken a poor first step. I think I think many people have stubbed their oversized bright white McGregors on the wall of the of the soccer arena and have stumbled into the playing field of God and faith and spirituality, and they've bloodied their nose and their elbows and their shins. Like, we, we've we been off from the very beginning, and it's caused a lot of problems. Um, and I think, and hopefully if you stay with me, I think it starts in the very first verse of the Bible, and then it's it's taken all these weird turns and had all these weird things done to it, and then it's caused us to, like, really, really mess up, really mess up where this whole thing was supposed to go. Um, So most people are familiar with the very first verse of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I think this uh, can be a bit misleading because, and I, I think the takeaway people often have, is that the act of creation has been completed, It's something that was done. Uh, It's in the past tense. Therefore, it's finished and that we are living with this finished process or finished product. Sorry. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right. So, okay, he did it. It's done. We have the product of the work that God has done. Now, the problem is that in the Hebrew text, the, the, the way the words actually are, the structure of the sentence, it it would actually sound or read more like this. When God began to create, right? So it's not in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's all done. It's complete. It's in the beginning when God began to create is how the Hebrew text would read, which means it's a bit more open-ended, right? It's not... Uh, it's not closed. It's not done. It's not finished. It's open-ended. When it's something he started and is now ongoing, right? The story starts with God beginning to create, not with God finalizing creation. And and it and it may seem like a a bit of a subtle difference. But it makes all the difference in the world as it relates to our understanding of the world and the world we live in and how we relate to it. Uh, if God created and the act of creation is complete, then our job as humans is simply to, you know, like mind the store, if you will. Uh, and then, and, and, and the mentality then becomes we're just strangers passing through, we're just strangers in a foreign land. We're, we're glorified squatters, essentially, and whatever other Christian cliches people come up with for justifying an obvious neglect of God's instruction to care for his creation. Now, uh, it, there's also, I think in Genesis 2, uh, it's, it actually says when God finished creating. Um, 
But you also have to understand that everything that God created, he gave the ability to create. So, uh, yeah, God, uh, I, I should probably pull that up. If you can hear me clicking around, because I, I, I want to be sure that I'm saying this properly and, and not lead anybody astray, if you will. Genesis 2. Uh, okay, we're going to go with the NIV here. Okay, stay with me. Okay, it says, Genesis 2 verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. So uh, verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So sometimes we take that and we and uh, when you say, oh, well, God didn't complete his creation. But then you read that and it says, oh, the heaven and the earth were complete in their vast array. God had finished the work he'd been doing. Therefore, it's like you said in the beginning. But the problem is, again, the Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, he began to create. In Genesis 2, it says they were completed. But when you understand that everything that God created, he gave the ability to also create, then it means that creation itself isn't finished. So God finished like putting things in place, but everything that he put in place, he gave the ability to create more of itself, which means creation isn't finished creating. You still with me? Does that make sense? And so when we've when we take this idea of God uh, of creation being finished, then it puts us in this weird spot of feeling like, oh, we're just here to um, to to keep things from not collapsing or something, right? So there's this kind of misstep that has tripped us up, and it, it's actually. A bit like 11-year-old, 10-year-old Seth tripping onto the soccer field, it, it, it might be a bit embarrassing, actually, as, as like Christians, as the church. You know, that, that Christians in the church were somehow so—we've we, been so misguided, being led into the belief um, things like, uh, like the soul would be separate from the body, that people would be separated from the earth, and that the earth would eventually be obliterated, because that's where this— the, the thinking and the idea that uh, creation is finished, I think, ultimately leads to, right? So this idea that God began to create uh, and then everything that God created has the ability to create more of itself, there's this open-endedness to the story. There's The story is still moving. The story is still expanding. It's still growing. It's going... It's going somewhere. Um, in fact, the way that God began to create uh, was by speaking everything into existence and then allowing everything to also create, right? And the implications of this are, are huge. The implications of, are vast. Uh, let me give you a couple. Um, the first thing is that cre- creation is going somewhere. Uh, and because it's expanding, uh, it means that we have this like super vital, important role to play. Uh, another thing is that the role of of being God's steward uh, of His creation becomes all the more important because creation is expanding. And so the idea is when you look at the instructions of God in the beginning, we call these. I think I've mentioned this, the original commission. 
He says, be fruitful and multiply. He says, um, rule and subdue the earth. He says, uh, work and care for the garden. These are all six things that, that tie to this idea of stewardship that God created. Creation is continuing to expand. And then God hands responsibility of this creation, of this expanding creation to humanity. Which means, by the way, here's another implication, is that we are participating in the continuation of creation. We get to create, and we get to help create, and we get to help shape that which is also creating. So as this whole thing continues to unfold, we get to be a part of it. Which means also, here's another implication, is that what we do in this life matters. What we do in this life matters. Um, because of how God established everything, because creation is continuing to unfold, because you have been given responsibility to help guide and shape creation, it means the things you do now matter. Right? I mean, this is a this is a big deal. This is this actually points to like a bigger sense of meaning and purpose in my life. This is points to life is more than just like getting by. Life is about more than getting more money to buy more stuff, to live more comfortably. This points to the idea that how we, how we operate makes a difference. Um, if, if I live with the idea or the mindset that God created the earth, everything is complete and okay, yeah, I'm supposed to like you know, I don't want to destroy, outright destroy, or, you know, God's creation or whatever. But also, if I've, if I've been taught or live with the idea that ultimately the goal is for me to get somewhere else, to get out of this place, then, then I don't really have, like, this sense of, uh, I don't have this vested interest here. I'm just kind of passing my time, biding my time till I get on to the next thing. But if I understand, and I, I'll, please forgive me if I talked about this recently. I, I, I talk a lot and sometimes <laughs> I forget where I've said what and to who and how come I said it. Um, I, it may have been the last podcast or two. Uh, but when you look at how the story of creation starts and the story of creation ends, what you see is that like there isn't really elsewhere. There's only there's only here. In Genesis one, you have God, and then God creates, like we've just talked about, and then God gives authority to man over all things to help creation grow and to expand. That's how the story starts. How the story ends is the story ends in Revelation twenty one and twenty two with the new Jerusalem, the new holy city descending from heaven to earth where God will dwell uh, on the earth with creation. So the story starts with God on the earth with creation, and the story ends with God on the earth with creation, with with his people, with his creation. The things that he started the story with, by the way, by saying it's good. In, in the story of creation, he says, repeat, this phrase gets repeated, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Which, by the way, side note, um, I think many people, when it comes to the story of uh, creation in the Bible, the story that we often tell starts with the story of like, maybe you've heard the term original sin, maybe you've heard that thrown around, maybe you've had that 
impressed uh, upon you as you've grown up in the church, or maybe not. But the, the idea is um, we have this starting place of something's broken and something's wrong and something's off. But that's starting from a place of like Genesis chapter 3, where you have something like uh, what what gets called the fall, where Adam and Eve eat the fruit and whatever. Uh, but that neglects the first two chapters where you have this phrase of it's good, it's good, it's good being repeated over and over and over again. And it's almost like we miss the understanding of original goodness. So while people are so worried about original sin and making sure that people know that, oh, we're evil, dirty, terrible sinners, um, the story of the Bible starts with uh, it's good, it's good, it's good, and God rested. (laughs) That's how it starts. It's good, it's good, it's good. God says here, I want you to take that which is good and to continue to help it to be good, to make that goodness grow. And then God takes a break. But for some reason, we've made it about here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong. So the story of the Bible starts here. The story of the Bible ends here. And yet somehow, because of this idea of, well, God created, we just have to keep an eye on it until eventually God's going to destroy it all because God's coming to destroy it, and then we go somewhere else. This is like a giant misstep, at least in my mind, because this is like, this paints, this gives me the framework through which I will now live. Because if I believe the goal is to get out of this place and I don't have a vested interest here, then I can treat the natural resources the way I want. I don't care if... If we're bulldozing, you know, like <laughs> thousands of acres of rainforest for either grazing uh, cattle or for the wood to build my house, like none of that really matters because it's all going to get destroyed by fire or something in the end, anyways, right? And that what they isn't that the thought? However, if the belief is like this is a if, if the earth is our only home. And the goal is not to get out of this place, but to restore this place to to a new-like condition, then it means that how I live matters drastically. What I do, uh, what I spend my money on, uh, how I eat. If uh, I think it was... Um, I did a series not too long ago about Mr. Rogers, not on podcast and like sermons and stuff. On on it was called the Gospel According to Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers became a vegetarian in the seventies because he read this book called A Diet for a Small Planet, and it changed his perspective on how he how he eats, how he used to eat, because of his. Um, his love of God and his love of others, right? Which is essentially what, you know, the, the two primary things Jesus talks about. The most important, love God. Uh, second, the second commandment is like it. Love others as yourself. And Mr. B- Mr. Rogers believed this deep within his being to the point that he was willing to change his diet for the sake of those things. Because his thought was, you know, if we've been called to stewardship, and if we've been called to take care of God's animals, can we really say we're taking care and loving God's creation if I'm killing things and cooking it in 
you know, if I'm frying it and stuffing it into my pie hole, like, is, <laughs> is that what love looks like? Or in, I guess in the book too, and I ordered this book. I haven't read it yet. If you've read it, that's awesome. Props to you. Maybe you feel the same way. Um, but the, uh, the other thing was the amount of land and the amount of energy it takes to, um, to, to raise cattle. Uh, basically uh, the, the gist was that more, you could feed more people using a plant-based diet, I think was kind of like the underlying thing. And so it was his love, Mr. Rogers, love of God and love of people and reading this book that realized by doing something like changing his diet was actually serving, uh, both of those things, right? So if, 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 uh, the, the adverse or the inverse of that is if there's a belief that, that God's going to wipe everything out anyways, in God's wrath and anger or something, uh, then there's no need to change. There's no need to change the diet because who cares? Do you know? Oh, well, it could help people. Yeah, but I don't really know anybody that's super hard up for food. Yeah, but like, what about the rest of the world? Well, and also like, it kind of shows God that you're caring for his creation more than like, you know, like slaughtering all the animals. Yeah, but you know, who cares? Well, but you know, we're going to cut the rainforest down because we need to feed more cows with grass and we need more space to do that. Well, you know, God's going to destroy it all anyway. So maybe we're helping God to bring the destruction of the earth. <laughs> right. But I think to me, it all comes back. It all comes back to this idea that we've had this. I think t- to me, we've had this giant first misstep. We've tripped over the wall heading onto the soccer field and we've bloodied our nose and we haven't been able to recover. Like we're still living with this thought that the, the action is somewhere else. When you understand that creation is happening always and now and that you've been given this task, this role, this not only this invitation to come and be a part of it, then just like Mr. Rogers, everything you do matters. How you eat matters. Where you get your food from matters. Even I, I know I've talked about this. I think I mentioned uh, that series Connected from it's on Netflix. You should totally watch it. One of the episodes, <laughs> one of the episodes was on poop, and I, I find that's that's one of my least favorite topics of things to talk about. Some people are okay with that stuff. I am not. So for those of you who are not, I'll spare you like the the details. But I watched that episode, and it was fascinating. Even for a guy who doesn't like such topics, it was incredible. And one of the things they were showing was. Um, they were like taking samples from the Thames River in in England, you know, like the the main waterway that runs through there. And um, some of their sewage still dumps into the Thames River. So by the way, if you're there, don't go like swimming in it. (laughs) Tourist tip number 307. Uh, Don't, don't go, don't drink out of that water. Just a heads up. Um, but what they could do is they could tell by taking these uh, samples of the Thames River uh, and running it through a bunch of you know scientific processes, they could tell what Londoners are eating, uh, what what kind of chemicals they're putting into their body. Like they're able to see um, uh, drug use 
and and how basically they could view all of London as like one giant uh, body that was being poured out into into the river. And so they could see like on the weekends, for example, um, a lot of the, the uses of party drugs went way through the roof, like, you know, like uh, Molly or M- MDMA, whatever it is. I don't even know the names of the drugs. Uh, uh, yeah. So they noticed that on the weekends, the, the party drugs went up, but then they also were able to see like um, how like the, the use of cocaine or something was pretty steady throughout the week in, in a place like London. And they were able, even able to track after um, the decision uh, for Brexit kind of went through, there was a spike in drug use after that happened. So it was almost like they could tell, they could read the vibe of what's going on in the collective masses through, through these samples that were coming from the sewers, the sewer system from what was coming out of people's bodies, which means what they were putting in their bodies was having an effect somewhere else. So this other group of guys, they began to study um, like how, how this will affect things like other, other animals, like, you know, fish species, plant species. So uh, these guys did a stud, a separate, I hope I'm not ruining it for you, or maybe you'll watch it and be like, okay, that was way better than the way Seth explained it. But um, they took uh, a bunch of these particular kind of fish, like fingerling-type minnows, and they had two ponds, a control pond and an experiment pond. And they were able to track all these fish and monitor them and, you know, like just keep an eye on them. And so they they put the um, matching levels of of chemicals that they found in 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 the Thames River into one pond. And then left the other one plain and then monitored the behavior of the the fish species that they had put in there. And so what they saw was uh, the ones in the in, in the bad water, if you will, uh, they became less skittish. They became more brazen, if you will. So in the control pond, these little minnows, anytime there was a shadow or the wind blew or something like these fish are scattering like hiding, they're barely coming out to like, you know, because they're a small fish. Uh, the ones who had the, the bad water, the mixed water from the chemicals that people are putting in their bodies, like didn't care. And so they were like out in the open a lot more. Uh, they were getting picked off by birds a lot easier. So because whatever they were experiencing was changing the fish's behavior, which then now made them more exposed to harm or being food for somebody else or whatever. So the idea is that whatever these people, and it's not just, this is just their situation, whatever people are putting into their bodies and then flushing into their toilets, it's not just affecting them because that stuff is going out into a different system, which is then affecting plants and animal life, which is then affecting, if it's affecting these fish to this degree, and then the fish, that particular fish dies off. Then you have this like break in the, in, the, in the chain of the food system, which then will continue to expand into a, do you see what I'm saying? Like this, like we think we're just putting, uh, we're eating something, putting something into our bodies and it's not going to affect something else when the reality is, is so much of everything is, is connected. And so when I, if I believe or live with the understanding that the earth is not my home and I'm just a passing through, 
if I've taken the leap onto the soccer field and I've tripped over this thing thinking that all of creation is complete and it doesn't really matter what I do, I'm just biding my time to get out of this place, then then I've caused, I've had a major misstep. I've, I've had a major, uh, I've, I've, I've put myself in a position uh, to, to cause some damage uh, to how I think about myself, to how I think about the world, how I interact and relate to all of it. Because if I understand that, that, that it is connected like this, and if I understand that God created in such a way, not that it was finished, but that it's continuing to expand, and that I have a role in it, then uh, to participate in it, I have an invitation to participate, and I have um, that, that, this idea that everything I do uh, has significance, then all of a sudden I really need to be alert and aware as to things like how I eat, what I put in my body, the things that I buy, where is that coming from? How much trash do I create? Like, because we're all interconnected in this sort of way. Do you see? So, like, I, I, I am fascinated by how much this kind of, this misunderstanding of the very first line of the Bible has affected so much of what I believed or was taught to believe in the past, you know, like, um, because again, if I'm just get trying to get out of this place, then what does it really matter if I take out the rainforest or if I, you know, put these chemicals into my body that make its way into the sewer system, that make its way into the ocean, that make its way into, that eventually affects the food chain? What does it matter? Uh, it doesn't. But... Um, you know, th- that line of thinking is kind of the spiritual equivalent of the seven-year-old, 11-year-old Seth eating the turf uh, and on his first soccer experience and bleeding all over the indoor soccer field. <laughs> but the good news, I think, is, is you know, after in, in, in the soccer match, after I was able to regroup, put on a few bandages, cover my boo-boos, get a kiss from my mom, I was eventually able to go back into the game to play the game uh, properly. I was able to go, I was actually able to go on and, and score the winning goal. Okay. I don't, I don't know if that actually happened. It's been 30 years. I know I went back in the game and it sounds much more victorious and much more um, heroic. If I, if I scored the winning goal, I don't know that that happened, but I do know after I got bandaged up, I got back in the game. Uh, and so maybe, you know, I think in the church, many have taken this kind of first big misstep. And I feel like the more that we have this discussion, the more that we see how things are interconnected, the more how we see that our, the the original commission, like we can pick ourselves back up, dust ourselves back off and get back in the, in the game. Like it's time to really dive into a deeper and more rich understanding of our role as stewards of God's creation. Like, you know, what does that actually look like in my life, my community, my church, my world? How can I, how can you, how can we live out this calling as co-creators more fully? Like being active participants with God in pursuing God's intended reality for this world and for all of creation, right? Like how, and and for me, that's... uh, I don't know. I, I'm always doing kind of 
slightly different stuff to like move in that general direction. And I'm becoming more and more mindful of these things. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not like saint, saint, a saint here by any means. Like that's not ever been, you know, what, what I think of myself or how I want to project myself, but I do try to be mindful of it. Um, that is one of the reasons that, you know, I stopped, I've stopped eating meat, uh, let's see, about a year and a half ago now. Um, you know, uh, very similar to the Mr. Rogers stuff. There were all these things that were kind of adding up to me that just, I could no longer validate doing that if I really felt like I love God and I love people. And if by lessening, uh, the amount of meat that we consume as a world would actually, if we use that space to grow vegetables, if we could feed more people in in a world where there is a lot of world hunger, you know, where a lot of people are starving to death, then why wouldn't I do that? You know, uh, when it comes to uh, buying my clothes, uh, I'm very mindful of, of that sort of thing because of all the stuff I've seen about, you know, the work conditions of, of people around the world and and the actual cost of what it, you know, of what it costs me for a $5, $20 shirt or whatever, like there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, I'm mindful of those things. Uh, when it comes to the food I eat besides meat, you know, if you're, uh, you know, when you get into these conversations about the GMO and the non-GMOs and all this kind of stuff, and I know people have wide ranging opinions, um, but I, I don't think... I know people can get carried away with it, but I do think it is, it's decent to be mindful of. That's why like we're growing our own garden. You know, that's what me and my family do a lot of gardening and trying to get bigger gardens and create more food so that we can give more food away. Um, when it comes to even things like uh, uh, plastics, you know, I tr we try to, all of our family has uh um, like reusable cups, thermoses, water bottles, you know, so that we, my, my kids each have like two water bottles. They use it for school. They take it to school all day at home. When we have dinner, we fill up the water bottles. It's the same water bottle. When they go to bed, it's the same water bottle. So like, we really don't, you know, we're not creating extra waste. Um, when it comes to uh, back to food, and again, I hope this isn't this isn't this isn't bragging. This is just me speaking to the reality of why I think this is important and how it's transformed how I live uh, in understanding that what I do in this life matters. Um, we, when it comes to our family, we don't have food waste, you know. And I know not everybody has this ability, but you can you can to some degree. You know, we have animals. I have chickens. I have goats. And so, and a pig and dogs. Uh, so any of our leftover food, it feeds animals in some way, shape or form, or it goes into a compost pile. So, you know, whether you're talking about coffee, coffee filters, eggshells, uh, any sort of food scraps, whatever, um, you know, we put all that in compost, any of like the cooked food that, uh, uh, that we're not going to put in compost, will go to the animals, which ends up being another form. They're like the pre composters for us. So we don't have any food waste, right? So it's, again, it, this is just what you do matters. Um, we took our kids to the, to the dump the other day because we were, because we had a, a load of junk to take. And I thought, man, I want my kids to be able to see 
the like when you see the waste of humanity in a pile, it really <laughs> can have a profound impact. So I just wanted my kids to see it. Not even like that's that's not even like that's like a small segment of it, right? When you drive up and there's a mountain of garbage, like for what? Right? We're we're consumers. We're creating these products for people to consume and then they have to deal with the trash and on and on the system goes. And I'm not trying to I don't want to get too like off the deep ends here, but all that to say, the story of the Bible starts with uh, in the beginning, God began to create, and he created this world that has the ability to create more of itself, that has the ability to uh, continue to expand this ongoing creation, and then God gives responsibility to mankind to maintain it, to guide it, to shape it. And then when you look at, that's how the story starts, and when you look at how the story of the Bible ends with God coming to creation, to the earth, to dwell with his creation, like the story isn't happening somewhere else. And so we're not here just to use and abuse and exploit and to take and to, oh, rule and subdue we've taken as this thing to be like, we're large and in charge and the the world is my oyster and I'm just going to take what it, uh, from it what I need. No, no, that's not, that's not the mentality. That's not the mindset. It's about stewardship. It's about, yes, there are these resources that are beneficial, that are usable for us, but we also have to use them wisely. We can't just knock down the rainforest. There has to be planting programs because it takes a really long time for a tree to grow back, right? Uh, We have been entrusted with with the entirety of the creation of God. Right? You've heard the song maybe growing up. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. But I think like I, I get it. I understand that. It's comforting. But it's also like he put the whole world in our hands too. He put the whole world in your hands, right? He's given us this responsibility. And so when we understand that creation is still continuing to expand and we have this role to participate in it and we're not going somewhere else, we're here and this is our home, it might change how we think about all of it. It has for me. It definitely has for me. Uh, From what I buy to what I wear to what I put into my body to what I eat, that's all been affected not by, you know... uh, it's all been affected by how I think and understand the instructions of God to man from the very beginning, to what we would call, what I would call God's intended reality, how he designed for us to live. And that is, I think we've been created to live in such a way that we understand that this is our home, we are connected to here, we are created from the earth and for the earth, we, are, we have been taken out of the earth, been given the spirit. And then we have this responsibility to care for the thing that we are actually created out of. Yeah. So even if you are an 11-year-old Seth and you've tripped onto the soccer field in your understanding of the first verse of the Bible, there are Band-Aids available at the aid station. And you can get back in the game. And you can score the winning goal. (laughs) You can get back in the game, people. It's okay. Start over. 
You know, you, the, the wounds will heal. You can get back in the game. You can see that you have a purpose and a place to help this thing move forward. And in fact, that is what you have been invited to do. So there you have it, friends, family, loved ones. Yeah, take that with you. Put that in your pocket. Put that in your pipe. Smoke it. Whatever. All right, uh, this has been The Sneaky Emu, episode number nine. Thank you so much for being here, Mom. Thanks for listening. My hope and my prayer for you guys is that you will see that your life matters, what you do in the here and now matters, and that you have been given an invitation to participate in the ongoing, unfolding expansion of this story that we call creation. Yes, you matter. Your life matters. All right, friends, I'm sending you all the love that I can possibly muster in your general direction. We will talk to you next time.